Welcome to the Summerton Church of God Sermon Podcast, a podcast to help you find life, freedom, and purpose in Jesus Christ. I'm going to ask you to take your Bibles and go with me today to 1 Samuel chapter 17. 1 Samuel chapter 17. And today I'm going to wrap up this series called One Nation Under God. And notice today that I have underlined the name of God. Because you and I need to be reminded today that we are not one nation under Joe Biden. And we are not one nation under Donald Trump. Yeah, I'm coming out of the gate strong today. We are to be one nation under God. Under God. I remind you of this statement that I shared last week made by former President Ronald Reagan. When he said, if we forget that we are one nation under God, then we will be a nation gone under. One nation under God. Now, you can tell how well people know God when you're in seasons like we're in right now. Amen? You can tell by the way that people respond in these kinds of difficult times and trying times, you can tell by the way people respond how well they really know God. The psalmist David said this in Psalm chapter nine, verses nine and 10. He said, the Lord is a refuge for the oppressed and he is a stronghold in times of trouble. And then he goes on and makes this statement. He said, those who know your name, trust in you. I ask you this morning, do you know him? If we are one nation under God, do we really know the God that we are under? Because the psalmist says that if you know him, you will trust him. And it's not just so that we can call God by many different names. His names represent his character. So that when you study the names of God, you are discovering things about the character of God. That's why when we look at names like Jehovah Jireh, the name Jehovah means the Lord is, and Jireh means provide. So that means that the Lord, Jehovah Jireh, that he is, he's the Lord who provides. He's a provider. And, and Jehovah Rapha, the Lord is, and Rapha means healer. The Lord is a healer. Mm, boy, I'm thankful today that he's a healer. And names like Jehovah Shammah, the Lord is Jehovah Shammah present. The Lord is present. And we are reminded that he, that he is an ever-present help in times of trouble. You see, to know God is to trust God. That's why the psalmist said this in Psalm 20 and 7. He said, some trust in chariots and some in horses. 
But we, the people of God, the kingdom of God, we trust in the name, in the character of the Lord our God. The writer of Proverbs in Proverbs Proverbs 18 and 10 says that the name of the Lord, the character of the Lord is a strong tower and the righteous run into it and they are safe. Now we are familiar with a lot of the names of God, some of the ones that I just mentioned, Jehovah Jireh, Jehovah Rapha, Jehovah Shammah. But I want to remind you of the name that is most often used for the Lord in the Old Testament. For some of you, it will be a reminder. For some of you, it will be a revelation. But in the Old Testament, the name that is used most to refer to the Lord is this name, Jehovah Sabaoth. And it just simply means that he is the Lord of hosts. That he is the God of armies. It means that he is the God of the armies of Israel. That he is the God of the army, those All of us who call ourselves Christians in Christ, the army of Christ, that he is the God, that he is the Lord of those armies. I guess what I'm trying to say is he is our commander in chief. Mm, Yes, he is. And we need to be reminded of that today, that that he is our commander in chief. Jehovah Sabaoth the Lord of hosts, the God of angel armies, that he is, he is the God over the, arm, the, the army of angels in heaven. That's why in Matthew chapter 26, when they came to arrest Jesus, and Peter, wanting to defend Jesus, draws his sword and cuts off the ear of a guy by the name of Malchus, and, and, and Jesus reaches down in the dirt and picks his ear up. I can just see him kind of dusting that ear off, you know, cleaning it up. And then he sticks it back on Malchus's head, and Malchus is healed. And, and, and Jesus then looks at Peter and says, Peter, put your sword away, because those who live by the sword will die by the sword. And then he reminded Peter, he said, don't you know that I could call out to my father right now and at once he would send 12 legions of angels. <laughs> that he is the, 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 the captain of the Lord's host. He is the God of angel armies. Now, I know sometimes when, when we picture Jesus, we, we see some of these portraits, you know, of Jesus as a shepherd. And he's, and he's holding a little sheep, you know, and he's just kind of gently, you know, petting the sheep. Or we see him with children and he's, and he's laying his hand on children. But I've come to remind you this morning that the Lord is a warrior (laughs) and a mighty warrior is he at that that's why the psalmist David reminds us in Psalm chapter 24 and this is what we need to do today because there's too many 
Christian folk. There, there's, there's too many of God's people walking around right now with their head down, all, all depressed and all disappointed and all discouraged about the events of this past week. But I hear the Lord saying today, lift up your heads, O ye gates, and, and be ye lifted up, you everlasting doors, and the King of glory shall come in. Who is this King of glory? The Lord strong and mighty. The Lord mighty in battle is he. Lift up your heads, O ye gates. Lift up, you everlasting doors, and the King of glory shall come in. Check this out. Who is the King of glory? I'll tell you who he is. He's Jehovah Sabaoth. He is the Lord of hosts. He is the God of angel armies. He is the King of glory. And then notice what he says. He says, Selah. In other words, ponder on that for a little while. Think about that for a little while. Meditate on that. You and I need to do that this morning. We need to think. We need to meditate. We need to ponder. We need to be reminded that God, that the Lord is a warrior and that he is the God of angel armies and that there is no battle too big for our God. Somebody give him a good praise right there. Amen. Now, I've got three key truths that I want to give you this morning, and I'm going to give you all three of them up front. We're going to kind of do it backwards. I'm going to give you all the points up front, and then we're going to look at 1 Samuel chapter 17 and see these three things unfold in the story that we're going to look at today. But the first key truth is this, and that is that big things seem bigger when compared to something smaller. Not too long ago, I took my little grandson Oliver to the Bass Pro Shop. I could tell when he walked in the door that he was mesmerized. I took him back to that big giant aquarium, you know, where they have those really big fish that I never catch swimming around in that aquarium and then they have all of these animals one a bear and and my little grandson i could tell that he was a little slow to to get up near that bear and i I began to put my myself in his shoes and i thought well you know to a little guy like that that big bear seems even bigger And it seemed bigger to him because of his point of reference. Because big things seem bigger when you compare it to something smaller. But here's key truth number two. And that is that big things don't seem big when compared to something bigger. (laughs) I had a buddy of mine stop by this past week. And he was telling me while he was here, he said, you know, years ago, I preached here at Summit and Church of God, but but he said, I preached in the old sanctuary. And I said, well, come on, let's just take a little tour. Let Let me show you what we've been able to do to the building over the last few years. And we walked around and I brought him in here to this sanctuary and, and then we went into the old sanctuary where he preached years ago. And here's what he told me. He said, I used to think that sanctuary was so big when I was younger. He said, but compared to your new sanctuary, what's big 
doesn't seem so big anymore when compared to something bigger. Now you see what I'm saying is, is that our point of reference means everything in our perspective. Our point of reference means everything in how we respond when we're going through a test. And that's the third key truth, that how we hold up under tests is determined by our point of reference. And we see that so vividly here in this story that we're gonna look at today. Now last week, the Lord took me to Daniel chapter three, and we looked at the story of of the three Hebrew boys and the fiery furnace. Well, today we're gonna go back to Sunday school and we're gonna look at the story of David and Goliath. And we're, we're going to see that a group of people are encountering the same circumstances. Some of them respond one way because of their point of reference and another one responds another way because of his point of reference. Let's look at the story beginning in verse 1. It says, Now the Philistines gathered their armies together to battle and were gathered at Soko, which belongs to Judah. Now the Philistines have gotten so close to the nation of Israel that Israel is beginning to feel the pressure and the tension. They're beginning to feel the urgency of the situation. And so Saul gathers his troops to go and fight against these Philistines. But then we get to verse 4 because the Philistines had a secret weapon that the Israelites evidently didn't know anything about. And in verse 4, we see who it is. It's a guy by the name of Goliath. And let me tell you who Goliath represents here. He represents the greatest enemy of God and God's people. He represents the devil. He represents one who has come to steal and to kill and to destroy. He represents one who has come to intimidate and to terrify the people of God and to take them into captivity to keep them from the promises that God has given to them. And Goliath comes out a Philistine champion. That means that he's been challenged before, but he has an undefeated record. He's a champion. And it says that this Philistine champion from Gath came out of the Philistine ranks to face the forces of Israel. He was over nine feet tall. Matter of fact, he was nine feet six inches tall. Now that's big. It don't matter how you look at it. That's a big man. So we're not denying here that Goliath was big. He was big. And we're not denying here that the challenge was big. The challenge was big. And it goes on to tell us that he wore a bronze helmet and his bronze coat of mail weighed 125 pounds. Listen to me. Just his armor weighed 125 pounds. That tells you how big and bad this dude is. He also wore bronze leg armor and he carried a bronze javelin on his shoulder. The shaft of his spear was as heavy and thick as a weaver's beam. As a matter of fact, the shaft of that spear was so big and thick that that the average man, it would have taken two hands to, to fully grasp this spear. That's how big it was. And notice it says that the spearhead weighed 15 pounds. 
I don't know that I could throw a spear that had a spearhead that weighed 15 pounds. It wouldn't go very far and I probably wouldn't do very much damage. But that's just how much the spearhead weighed. His armor bearer had to walk ahead of him carrying his shield. The shield was so large that he had to have another person walk in front of him bearing that shield. And then verse 8 says that Goliath stood and shouted a taunt across the Israelites. Isn't that just like the devil? To insult, to sneer, to have no regard because Goliath had no regard for the God of the Israelites whatsoever. And notice what he says. He said, why are you all coming out to fight? I am the Philistine champion, but you are only servants of Saul. Now listen to me. I underlined and highlighted that because that's a very important fact in this story. Notice he did not refer to them as servants of God. He referred to them as servants of the king. He referred to them as servants of Saul. We'll find out here in just a moment why he did that. He said, I'm the Philistine champion, but you are only the servants of Saul. Choose one man to come down here and fight me. If he kills me, then we will be your slaves. But if I kill him, you will be our slaves. I defy the armies of Israel today. Oh, big mistake, Mr. Goliath. Because when you defy the armies of Israel, you defy the God of the armies of Israel. That's why I said last week, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, they said, oh, king, we don't even need to defend ourselves or our God. Our God's big enough to defend himself. And Goliath is about to find out what it's like to be in a fight, not with David and with the rest of the Israelites. He's about to find out what it's like to get into a rumble with God. He's about to find out what it's like to get in a fight with God because he has defied not just the armies of Israel, but he has defied the God of the armies of Israel. And he said, send me a man who will fight. And then notice what verse 16 says. It says, for 40 days... Every morning and evening, the Philistine champion strutted in front of that Israelite army. Everybody say 40 days. Let me ask you something. Have you heard the word quarantine lately? That's been a big word this year, hasn't it? It got me to thinking, what is the history, the etymology of the word quarantine? Where did it come from? And I've discovered that it comes from the word quaranta, an Italian word. And it also comes from another Italian word, quarantino. The word quaranta means 40. And the word quarantino means 40 days. And we get our word quarantine from those words, which simply means that the English word quarantine means 40 days. And let me tell you something about 40 days in Scripture, or the number 40 in Scripture. It is a number of testing. Look at your neighbor and say, we're being tested right now. We're going through a test right now. If you don't, if you don't believe it, go back and look at the year we're in again. We're in the year what? 2020. What is 20 plus 20? Mm-hmm, you, you know, you, you can add it up. 
20 plus 20 is 40. I guess what I'm saying is 2020 has been a year of testing. It's been a year of testing. The number 40 in scripture, they were tested 40 years as they were wandering in the wilderness. Jesus was tested for 40 days in the wilderness by the enemy. 40 days. But here's what you will also discover, that at the end of the 40 comes change. At the end of the 40, something happens. Something divine happens. We're in a test right now. And listen to me, how we respond in this test that we are in right now is determined by our point of reference. Remember what Goliath said about the nation of Israel? He called them what? Servants of Saul. Why would he call them servants of Saul? Well, we have to go back to 1 Samuel chapter 8 where the people come to Samuel demanding a king, wanting, requesting a king. Up until this time, they've depended on God to be their king. Up until this time, God has been the one who was in control of their destinies. But now they're saying, we want to be like all the other nations. We want a king to rule over us. And it says that Samuel was displeased with their request. He really took it personal. He was displeased with their request and he went to the Lord for guidance. And here's what the Lord said to him. He said, do everything they say to you for they are rejecting me, not you. They don't want me to be their king any longer. Ever since I brought them from Egypt, they have continually abandoned me and followed other gods. You see, these men are servants of the king. These men are servants of Saul. If you go to 1 Samuel chapter 16, verse 14, you will discover that because of Saul's disobedience, because of his attitude that he had that said, I am, and there is none besides me, God humbled him. And God said, I'm going to tear the kingdom away from you, and I'm going to give it to somebody who seeks after my heart, who wants my heart in their heart, which would be David. And in 1 Samuel chapter 16 verse 14 it says that the spirit of the Lord departed from Saul and an evil spirit came into him and these people they are servants of Saul so when they face this giant when they face this obstacle when they face this challenge their point of reference is not God their point of reference is the king their point of reference is not God their point of reference is Saul their point of reference is not God and God's resources their point of reference is them and their resources and how many of you know that what's big looks even bigger when you're comparing it to something smaller you just missed a good opportunity right there to say amen Because look at what their response was because they had the wrong point of reference. It said that when Saul and the Israelites heard this, they were terrified and deeply shaken. And may I tell you that the reason why so many believers this week have been terrified and has been deeply shaken 
is because of their point of reference. We're looking to a man and to man's resources to be our fix-all. And it's no wonder when we're faced with the kind of challenge that we're faced with right now that so many people cower in fear and dismay and they are terrified. Oh, but there is one in this story who had a completely different perspective, who had a completely different point of reference. And that was this boy by the name of David who had a heart who sought after the Lord. And notice how it describes him in verse seven or verse 15 of 1 Samuel 17. It says that David would go back and forth so that he could help his father with the sheep in Bethlehem. He wasn't concerned about prestige. He wasn't concerned about power. He was just concerned about having the heart of God. And he shows up one day on the battlefield and he hears this giant taunting the armies of God and defying the God of angel armies. And he stood up and asked, who is this uncircumcised Philistine out here defying the armies of God? He said, if nobody else will go out and fight him, I'll go out and fight him. Of course, his brothers ridiculed him. His brothers talked down about him. His brothers told him, there ain't no way you can do this. Even Saul, the king, told him, you don't, you're too young. And, and, and he He's such a a, a veteran when it comes to fighting. He's such a veteran when it comes to war. David, you don't even stand a chance. But listen to what David's response was. His response was not fear and terrified and dismay. His response was a response of faith because of his point of reference. And listen to what he says. It says, Help me up there. Verse 34, but David persisted. And here's what he said to the king. He said, I have been taking care of my father's sheep and goats, he said. Now, you've got to understand, he knew that he had already been anointed to be king. But it wasn't the time yet for what God had told him was going to happen to actually happen. He was anointed to be king and then sent right back out in the pasture because God was preparing him for the day when he would become king. And it says that David persisted and said, I've been taking care of my father's sheep and goats, he said. And I love this. He said, when a lion or a bear comes to steal a lamb from the flock, I go after it with a club. What? I go after it with a club and rescue the lamb from its mouth. If the animal turns on me, I catch it by the jaw and I club it to death. Oh, now we're talking about a man's man. Now we're talking about a God's man. Hallelujah. And in verse 34, notice, or, or let's continue on. Verse 30, verse 35, verse 36. I'm getting, I'm getting ahead of myself. I'm getting so excited here. He said, I have done this to both lions and bears. And notice what he says. And I'll do it again to this pagan Philistine too. For he has defied the armies of the living God. Mm -hmm. Let me tell you something. When you know who God is and you trust God, when you know that God is Jehovah Sabaoth, when you know that he is the God of angel armies, you can stand up even before the battle and declare how the battle's going to end. You can declare how everything's going to end up, how everything's going to shape up. Oh, yes. 
He said, he's defied the armies of the living God. The Lord, he said, who rescued me from the claws of the lion and the bear. You see, he told me out there on the backside of the desert who he was. He told me out there on the backside of the desert that he is Jehovah Sabaoth. And he said, the Lord who rescued me from the claws of the lion and the bear will rescue me from this Philistine. Then David said to the Philistine, now, now he's talking to the giant. Now he's talking to the Philistine. And he said, you come to me with a sword and you come to me with a spear and you come to me with a javelin. But he said, I come to you in the name of Jehovah Sabaoth. I come to you in the name of the Lord of hosts. I come to you in the name of the God of angel armies, the God of the armies of Israel whom you have defied. Yeah. You see, when you know him, you can trust him. Oh, he goes on, verse 46. He said, this day, everybody say this day. This day the Lord will deliver you into my hand. And I'll strike you. And I'm going to take your head away from you. That's bold. That's confidence. Now, why is his response so much different than the rest of the nation of Israel? Because something big becomes bigger when you're comparing it to something small. But something big ain't so big anymore when you're comparing it to somebody bigger. And David said, yep, Goliath, you're a big boy. And yeah, this is a big challenge. But up against my God, you ain't big at all. Because my God is so much bigger. And what seemed big before ain't quite as big as it used to be. When you understand how big your God is, we got to have the right point of reference, folks. We got to have the right perspective about who God is. He said, this day I'm going to deliver you in, or the Lord. He said, this day the Lord is going to deliver you into my hand. Notice, he said, Ain't going to be me. He said, Jehovah Sabaoth, he's going to fight. He's going to give you to me. He's going to deliver you to me. And then once he does, he's going to fight through me. I'm going to strike you and take your head from you. And this day, I will give the carcasses of the camp of the Philistines to the birds of the air and the wild beast of the earth that all the earth may know that there is a God in Israel. You want to know why David responded the way that he responded? Because he said, I'm going to make sure that the honor of my God is preserved. I'm going to make sure that the honor of my God is pr pr protected. I'm going to make sure that the honor of my God doesn't die here today, but that it continues. You see, it wasn't about David. It was about David's God. And it was about protecting and preserving the, the, the honor of God. And, and, and notice he said, all the earth is going to know that there is a God in Israel. Then all this assembly shall know that the Lord does not save with sword or spear. Oh, we need to hear this. For the battle is the Lord's and he will give you into our hands. That's the response of somebody who really knows who God is. <laughs> so, 
Second Samuel 5 and 10 says, so David went on and became great. Why did he become great? Because the Lord of hosts, Jehovah Sabaoth, was with him. Listen to me. Team, come on out and help me close this morning. Bring the whole team out. Listen to me. Our nation became great. Our nation will continue to be great. As long as Jehovah Sabaoth is with us. One nation. Now you understand why I'm saying, just like here, we don't put our trust in earthly kings. We don't put our trust in earthly rulers and presidents. We put our trust in God. One nation under God. One nation under Jehovah Sabaoth, the God of angel armies, is on our side. Oh, wait just a minute. Wait just a minute. Joshua chapter 5. Because we sing that song. The God of angel armies is always on our side. Is he? Joshua chapter 6, and I'm going to come back to that here in just a minute. Joshua chapter 6, God gives the nation of Israel the plan to take Jericho. Joshua chapter 7, they, they assume now that they can go to the next city, Ai, and do the same thing. But they experience defeat. Now, why did God give them victory at Jericho, but not at Ai? Why was God with them, it seemed, in, Jer- in, in Joshua chapter 6, but not in Joshua 7? Why? Because they disobeyed the Lord. And they did something that they were told not to do. And so God, instead of being for them, he turned against them and disciplined them until they repented and took care of things and got back on the right track. But in Joshua chapter 5, Joshua is about to lead the nation of Israel. They've come out of the wilderness. They've crossed the Jordan. They're they're now ready to go in and conquer the land that God has promised them, the promised land, Canaan. And Joshua, he sees, evidently he can see Jericho. And he knows what a challenge, what a giant Jericho is. That there's these impenetrable walls. That it looks like there's no way they can break those walls down in order to conquer that city. And Joshua's thinking, how are we going to do this? How, 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 we, how are we going to conquer? When all of the sudden, in Joshua chapter 5... He lift up his eyes, Joshua did, and he looked and behold, a man. This is a pre-incarnate appearance of Jesus. This, this is Jehovah Sabaoth, the God of angel armies. And he saw a man that stood opposite him with his sword drawn in his hand. And Joshua went to him and said to him, now look, here's what he asked him. Now, 
Now, evidently, this dude was big. Evidently, he was massive. Evidently, Goliath didn't look like much at all compared to this angel. And so naturally, Joshua wants to know whose side you on because I can tell right now whoever side you're on stands a good chance of winning. And so he said, are you for us or for our adversaries? Lord, are you on our side or are you on their side? Let me get a little personal. Lord, are you a Republican? Or are you a Democrat? Lord, which side are you on? And do you know how the Lord responds? Look at this. He said, are you for us or for our adversaries? And he said, no. Good answer right there, isn't it? Are you for us or against us? Are you for us or are you for them? And he just says, no. Joshua, you're asking the wrong question. The question you should be asking me is not whose side am I on. The question you should be asking is whose side are you on, Joshua? Because I'm not on this side or that side. I'm the God of angel armies. I represent him, not this side or that side. And you remember at the end of the book of Joshua, the Lord lays down the gauntlet. He lays down a challenge to Joshua. And he said, these folks have got to decide, are you going to serve the gods of Egypt or are you going to serve me? Choose you this day whom you will serve. And Joshua, I'm sure after seeing this, he was like, hey, as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. And notice, he said, as commander of the army of the Lord, I have now come. And Joshua fell on his face to the earth and worshiped. This, this tells me right here that this is the Lord himself because Joshua knew you don't worship angels. And he's worshiping. And he said, what does my Lord say to his servant? Then the commander of the Lord's army said to Joshua, take your shoes off your feet for the place where you stand is holy. And Joshua did so. And then the Lord the Lord gave him detailed instructions as to how they would be able to conquer the land. Spoke to him and gave him the plan, the strategy as to how they could conquer the land. I guess this is what the angel of the Lord was saying. He says this, he said, you ask me whose side am I on? He said, I didn't come here to take sides. I've come to take over. <laughs> And listen to me this morning. The question is not, God, whose side are you on? The question is, whose side are you on? I'm on the Lord's side. The God of angel armies. Because I found out a long time ago when I read Zechariah chapter 4, that it's not by might and it's not by power, but it's by my spirit, says the Lord of hosts says Jehovah Sabaoth, the God of angel armies. Would you stand up in this room right now and would you begin to praise him like you know him? Would you begin to praise him like you know him? Would you begin to worship him like you really know him today? Come on. Well, I hope that you were blessed and inspired by today's message. 
We here at Summerton Church of God believe that God is a God who still does miracles. And we're seeing it on a weekly basis. People's lives being transformed by the power of God, being saved, healed, and delivered for the glory of God. And we want you to experience for yourself. So why don't you come and be our guest one Sunday here at Summerton Church of God. I look forward to personally meeting you.